0: Thank you for tuning in to this Prima Summer Education Series podcast. I am Taquan Gilbert, Prima's Education Coordinator. On this podcast, Tim Zimmersheed of Arthur J. Gallagher and Yvonne Mevs and Hemant Desai of Guilford County, North Carolina will discuss best practices to avoid cyber attacks. Please enjoy the podcast. Guys, the floor is yours.
1: Good morning, Taquan, and good morning, everybody. Thank you to Prima for giving us the opportunity to talk today about some of the things that uh, we in Gifford County have done and will continue doing. My name, again, is Hammond Desai. I'm the IT Director of Gifford County. And uh, let me just begin by, you know, setting the stage of what we're going to talk about. Obviously, you know, everybody by now, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are either aware of cybersecurity or you know what it means. And if you don't, I'm, I'm hoping that my next few minutes can fill up some of the gaps that you may have in understanding of cybersecurity because, really, it requires a whole bunch of uh, effort from everybody in your team to really understand uh, ramification. So, so I'll just begin by saying, imagine if you have seen these headlines in the last couple of years or even the last few months that uh people got attacked through cybersecurity, their data got breached, people have uh, uh, situations where their identity has been stolen. So as we know, or you may or may not know, that over 90% of malware or unintended software, if you will, is delivered via the most common vehicle that we all use every day, which is email. And that's a very scary thought because we all use email, right? And so imagine over 90% of uh, threats come via the most common source of what we always use day to day. Phishing, which we'll talk about shortly, what that means, still remains the number one way of quote-unquote social engineering, and we'll talk about that shortly too. And then what I want to stress about is that our goal today is not so much as to you know, talk about how the threats are so imminent, and we should all be scared about it. But more importantly, how can we, like the said, avoid? But if not avoid, at least prepare for some mitigation. So we'll talk about some of those things, too. So let's start by drawing a broad uh, uh, brushstroke, if you will, of what cybersecurity is. So from my perspective, and really from many subject matter experts' perspective, cybersecurity, unlike what many think, is not just technology. It, albeit, it's certainly a technology-related item, but it's more about processing. So As I'm concerned, cybersecurity is a combination and a very healthy marriage between a process that you may have or you should have and technology that follows that process. And if you don't have one or the other, you really don't have a good cybersecurity plan. And you may think you have it, but really you may be missing some opportunities to optimize it. So make sure that we understand what each of those components are. I will talk about that shortly, too. So, from cyber security perspective, we know that technology is important. That means we need to make sure your hardware, software, and nowadays not just your hardware for computers, but even your systems that are interconnecting your hardware. And by that I mean, you know, we, you you talk to cities and counties; they have automated IoT Internet of Things where there's robots connecting uh, water towers, for example, and uh, sending meter readings to uh, the central hubs. Imagine those data networks getting compromised. So it's not just a matter of your servers and your end-user computers, but the intervening devices are also part and parcel of your technology items. There so many times in the past, not too long ago, we didn't even think about those, but now they're all squarely in the mix of cybersecurity. So we need to have ideas and processes that map not just your immediate surrounding of servers and network devices, but things that may be connecting to your systems too. And by the way, that includes your vendors, suppliers, and customers, too. And then, of course, processes means, you know, what kind of uh, uh, steps you have in place or plans. And we'll talk more about that. And I know Tim and, and Yvonne will go into more detail about that, too. So from cybersecurity, from any IT security perspective, the way we have always looked at this, and this even predates cybersecurity planning, is security in IT security world stems from the three main pillars, as we call them, and we call them CIA of security. And no, this is not the Langley CIA. This is the CIA of security, the tribe, we call that, the confidentiality, the integrity, and availability of security. So security really follows these three pillars very, very clearly. So we need to make sure that for a customer whom you support, that you provide them trust that the data that they are transmitting uh, that's supposed to be confidential. That means no other person, other than the one who's intended to, is able to re- retrieve that data. So how do you maintain or retain that? Integrity obviously means the data is not somehow marred or modified in transit. How would you know that? There's man-in-the-middle attacks, and many of you may have heard that, between people are literally sniffing out your data. And then maybe altering that. So are you providing tools and techniques and processes in place that have been monitoring integrity? And obviously availability is exactly what it says that your customers that you support from IT perspective rely on network available 24 7. So be mindful of that, that, you know, a lot of companies provide services and they provide these, what we call them as five nines or 99.999% availability. Make sure that you have some tangible data that backs that up because a lot of companies promise you five nines, as we call them, but it doesn't mean that it may jive well with the statement of work SLA SLF with your customers. So make sure your CIA of security is very, very clearly crafted in your plan, understood by your customers, and supported by your support structure, which includes your team and your processes. So that brings me to, you know, the key topic of today, which obviously is uh, what does cybersecurity ultimately relate to? So we are all familiar with, or we may be uh, unfortunately familiar with ransomware, which means your computer got infected. And next thing you know is you open up, try to open up a document, and the document says, sorry, you can't access that unless you pay us some money, right? And you get an email that says, well, if you pay us so many bitcoins, we'll allow you access to your files. And more and more companies have been impacted in the last two years than the last 20 years. So, And that keeps rising. So that statistic is no longer just a matter of numbers and more about how impactful in dollars and time wasted for cities, counties, and fortune finance companies for that matter, and even small to medium businesses who are actually more at Pell than we may think of because oftentimes we focus on – larger organizations, but imagine those small mom-and-pop shops who have businesses who are not even aware of what they may be exposed to. So I think a lot of times we need to make sure the awareness is spread across uh, as many entities as we can. So ransomware still remains a big threat for many of us. And the vehicle that ransomware gets delivered, by and large, like I said earlier, 90 or more percent of ransomware is delivered via the most common means, which is your email. So oftentimes you may get an email that looks unsuspecting. It may come from your boss. It may pretend to come from your friend that says hey, open this email, I've got some exciting videos for you or exciting file that you need to look at. And you open the file and next thing you know is your computer starts behaving erratically and unbeknownst to you within a few hours, a few days, and sometimes even several months, as we have seen, an attack is initiated by a boss in your system and your files get locked. And now you're too late to even mitigate that. The only option you may have is either to hope that you have backups that far back or you end up paying money, right? So the phishing examples are examples that are really scary because these emails are not coming from some unknown sources. So how do we look out for that? Make sure you read the email content. More often than not, in phishing, phishing emails, they may come from people that you know, but if you read deeper, they may be spelling mistakes. There may be last name missing. There may be emails you may receive from people that otherwise would never email you with an attachment. So be mindful of those kind of things, especially when you get free deals. Hey, open this up. You may get a free, you know, smartphone. And next thing you know, it's not a smartphone. It's a cyber attack, right? So keep those things in mind because these are normal day-to-day events that we sometimes take them for granted. And next thing you know is they compromise the systems. So just to give you an idea, in the last, you know, just um, one year, which because uh, I just have data for 2019, I've compiled a little bit of 2020, but in 2019, just for government agencies, through the end of December, more than 125 known attacks have happened, cyber attacks, that actually translated into companies or government agencies, literally either going down for more than 24 hours and some even several weeks and months. Uh, We are of bigger entities and cities, but smaller townships and government agencies are not immune from that, too. So, again, I'm not going to name those things. You can, you know, obviously do your research, and you'll find that it's very freely available information of government agencies that have had impact from cyber attacks. So we need to be mindful that these are not happening uh, randomly. These are happening on a regular basis, and they are no longer sporadic. The number of incidents are climbing up on a regular basis. So, you know, what are some of the steps we can take, right? So I've kind of drawn the stage for the two most common ways we get cybersecurity threats is through ransomware and phishing. There are many other means. So I'm not going to get into more detail due to lack of time here, but there's so many other technical ways and some even very end-user ways by which we can get breached through day-to-day activity. We may open up emails or just open up some documents. So what are some of the steps you can take? From end user perspective, make sure that your end users are properly trained. End user awareness training, by far, is the most overlooked item and the most underappreciated item in any plan. So do not underestimate the power of cyber security training. In our case, I'll be honest with you, and Tim is sitting here, so I'm not saying we're sitting here, but our insurance broker has been very, very valuable in providing us resources I've shared with our team and those have been really valuable in awareness because your broker will probably give you access to tools that otherwise you may or may not even have a small to medium business or end up paying a whole bunch of money to outside consultants for access to that data. So keep in mind that training doesn't mean somebody being in front of a classroom and spending two hours showing you how to prevent attacks. It's all about constant awareness of day-to-day events that we are used to. So that's just a basic thing you all, we all, we all should do and we can do better about that even ourselves. But at the technical level, make sure that you have a three pronged steps in place. So make sure your end user security is protected from their devices. So your tele, your smartphones, your computers, your end user laptops, desktops, then your servers are protected. And of course, your end network edge, which is a firewall. So firewall, server, and end user computing. I call them three-pronged steps of technical protection. So three-tier architecture is also what it's called in some books. So make sure you have the architecture drawn out and laid out in detail, and your team is fully aware of what steps take to take for all those three uh, layers of architecture. Many of us go to coffee shops, public places, use our laptops, and unbeknownst to us, we hop onto their Wi-Fi never realizing that when you transact anything over the Wi-Fi, somebody could eavesdrop right next, sitting next to you, and next thing you know is they have access to all your passwords. So as much as possible, if you use public internet access, use VPN, virtual private network. And if you're not familiar with that, there are a lot of third-party companies that are selling VPN services at a very affordable price, and, and you may want to leverage one of those. So make sure you use VPN in public places. So that can save you from a lot of headache down the road. And my pet, pet favorite topic is passwords. And nowadays, you know, we have biometric scanning and fingerprint scanning on laptops and tablets. But if you don't have those in place, at, at the least, make sure your passwords are complex. And, in fact, my presentation earlier was saying eight or more. But I'll be honest with you, according to the National Institute of Standards and Technology and NIST. They now recommend minimum 12 or more characters for password. So make sure you have at least 12 character passwords and make them complex. That means have uppercase, lowercase, some special characters, so on and so forth. And, again, all of this information is very, very easily accessible. If you look at IT security, you will see some of those best practices available to you. So make sure you have that in place. And then, like I said, last but not the least is uh, make sure you have somebody in, at your side as a partner, as a part, business partner, in an insurance broker whom you can rely on for breach mitigation, if and when it happens. I'll be honest with you. I say if, but the bottom line, there, bottom line is, and Tim will mention that too, it's a matter of when. We all know at some point it may happen to your network too. So the bottom line is be prepared for that and have some mitigation steps. One of the things that we do often, we do frequently now, even more frequently now than ever before, is an um, automated vulnerability scan. So, we hire a third party company to actually scan our network from outside to give us some insight about what are some of the vulnerabilities we may have. So, yeah, you pay up some money up front, but I can tell you one thing it can save you a lot of headache down the road because these are quote unquote ethical hackers who will actually try to give you some information or insight about what are some of the vulnerabilities you may or may not have in your system and then you can insert that into your plan that you share with your broker and your risk management team so that they can work in conjunction with you. And I know Yvonne will talk about some of the risk management aspects that can help you if you don't have that in your environment to further strengthen your process side of the game. Like I said to you, in my opinion, it's almost 50-50. is only half the battle. Process, which includes risk management team, and your insurance broker is the other half. If you don't have the other half, technology by itself will not save you from cybersecurity breaches. And that's something, that's not me saying it. There's evidence available from last two or three years where so many entities have thought they had technology in place and then they realized they didn't have a process that backed up the technology and they got breached and now they didn't know whom to call. And they're fumbling through paperwork to find process in place. So to sum it up, we talked about what cybersecurity is. I gave you some high-level, you know, background of what are some of the steps you could take that we have taken in the Drupal County, and we continue to evolve that. But my two cents to you is cybersecurity is really everyone's responsibility. I cannot overemphasize that. It's literally from your end user to your server administrator to your insurance broker to your risk management team. And it's everyone's responsibility to make sure you assess the plan, Bring all of your stakeholders to the table. When you create a plan, don't exclude other team members that are not in IT in your planning. I can be honest with you. A few years ago, I thought I can create my plan just by meeting my managers. But those are long gone now. You need to really expand your planning process to all the relevant stakeholders. That includes your internal stakeholders from your department, but also your external partners such as Cybersecurity insurance agents and your brokers. So make sure you have a full-pronged team to have a mitigation plan. And by all means, continue your backup and restoration testing. Make sure you back up your data and make sure you have a restoration plan in place that you restore your data at least once every few months to make sure that if, if and when you do get breached, that you actually can restore from the backup. And then last but not least, continue awareness training and keep improving your awareness training. To your team members. It only takes one person. As we always say in IT, we have to be right all the time, hackers have to be right only one time. And it's an unfair battle, but that's the battle we face on daily basis. So thank you very much for your time. Again, I appreciate Prima giving us the opportunity to talk about some of the very important things in cybersecurity. And with that, I hand over to Mike T1-Maps, who is our Risk Management Director at Guilford County. Well, Good morning, everyone. Um,
0: it's really an honor to be here today to help share with you our views um, here at Guilford County, and anyone that knows me knows that I am a big supporter of enterprise risk management, and I speak it all the time, but when it comes to cybersecurity, it's very, very important for your organization, no matter what size you are, to develop that ERM, and some of the areas that you really want to consider when you're planning uh, the ERM program for cybersecurity are, one, to begin with, with your culture. The culture. You need to know what type of services you provide. What are the people? What are the risks? To really understand what your services are from all aspects. Um, we want to think about um, how will a cyber attack affect our organization's reputation as well. You want to distribute the responsibility, like what Hema had shared. You know, it's really a team. Security is what I call a team sport. You want to maintain your responsibilities with your employee with the companies. Because IT truly is not the sole responsibility of cybersecurity. It takes a team to make it work and to keep us all protected. Security plans include your hardware, software, the human factor. And in order for us to distribute responsibility, we really need to provide the employees with the right tools and training to recognize malware, phishing, emails, and other social engineering attacks as well. And then you know, I talked about some training. You're going to want to train your staff, not just your key stakeholders, but from the part time all the way to your top management. Everyone should be aware. The more people you will have on board, the more safer the process will be, and the more successes you will have without having an attack. Not only that, but training truly is necessary, as I've shared, but it also spreads enthusiasm, encouragement to our employees that shows them that we really do care. And it helps with that support of the security culture. Share your information. Don't hold every, your knowledge to yourself. Let everyone know what you're aware of. Teach them the different risks that you could have or what to look for. Because if they don't know that, then they can't help you. So it's really important that you are communicating the information that you become aware of every day. There's something new that we, you know, we are encountering. Cybersecurity framework we need to be looking at as well. You want to identify your risks. You want to protect your assets. You want to detect activities to identify potential cyber attacks. You want to respond to the attacks timely, and then you want to recover. However, you're going to want to prioritize your uh, security risk for cyber. There's no way in any organization that we can protect us against all risk. There's just no way you can do that. But you can be consistent in prioritizing your risk by properly looking at the probability and the level of the impact. And then, one thing that we're getting ready to do here at Guilford County is looking at diverse views. As I mentioned earlier is that team getting everyone involved because it's not just one area that could be affected. Our services in public risk management were like multiple companies all in one, so I call those silos. And so getting those diverse views is really important. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be working with each one of our key stakeholders from each department. And looking at their services that they provide, what kind of risk would that present to us, and what can we do differently or enhance with our current programs that we have for cybersecurity? So, again, as I shared, I really feel that a diverse group of people really can identify more risk and more possible solutions. You're also going to get more of a buy-in from your staff as well. Reaction is of your speed, it is vital that if you have a cybersecurity attack, Speed is imperative. You've got to be on your game. You need to have an immediate response. The longer it takes to address the threat, the more damage can be done. Risk assessment. I kind of touched on this when you're dealing with your diverse views from your key stakeholders. You want to conduct a risk assessment, identify the various information, your assets that could be affected by a cyber attack. This can go anywhere from like what Hemet had shared, your hardware systems, laptops, customers, and employee data, cell phones. There's so many things nowadays that we think we know all of them, but we truly don't, so we really have to think outside the box on a daily basis. So identify the various risks that could affect your assets. Incident response plan. An incident response plan should focus on your priority of risk that have been identified. Also, I recommend that your incident plan be designed to create a roadmap and how to respond. And then lastly, again, as everything that we've shared, is cybersecurity you can have all the measures in place, but it's definitely not bulletproof. But I do feel that with a very strong enterprise risk management security program or plan, that you'll be better prepared to deal with an attack when it should happen. With that being said, I'm going to turn that on over to Tim Zemrashid with Gallagher.
2: Avon, thank you, and uh, thank you to Premium for allowing us to do this as well. Sort of, you know, tag teaming off Hemet and Avon is the three areas I'm going to cover. From the insurance broker, insurance risk management area is going to be benchmarking, checklisting, uh, best practices, making sure that you're utilizing all of your available resources pre-breach, and then also just um, things to watch out for on the cyber insurance policy. Sort of like Hemet mentioned, um, the one thing about cyber insurance compared to other types of insurance, it's not. If it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. Because the reality is with the technology and the speed that it's going, it's just a matter of time before most, most companies experience a cyber breach. I might have given some information about malware recently over the last five years for public sector. About 45% of the attacks have been hacking, 17% malware, 22% social attacks, and 22% have just been literally errors internally. When you look at that, because a lot of people will hear, you know, they're thinking about, you know, the young person in the basement trying to hack into the system. The the reality is 70% of the attacks are coming external to the organization, 30% internal. But the scariest part about that is of that 100% of the attacks, 55% of them are based on organized criminal groups, whether it's organized criminal groups in the United States or actually foreign criminal uh, entities. So the thing is you do have a lot of high-tech criminal enterprises trying to get into to, to the systems for different cities, counties, and governmental entities. When we start talking about benchmarking checklists and, and, and best practices, what we look at is really five parts on that, from a best practices, policies, and procedures. Old data is bad data, security is everyone's job, encryption, play like you practice, and insurance. When we're talking about old data is bad data, is the one recommendation that we have for most of our clients is look through the data that you're holding internally on your computer databases. Is it something that you're still legally required to, 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 to hold? Our comment is if there's a lot of data that can be purged from the system that's no longer required, you're just much better off getting rid of that information. That that That's just less of a data issue that you will have to, to, to worry about in the future. It's also to the part that if you're holding old data that the your entity doesn't need, in the event of a breach, that's just going to extend the cost of the claim based on what's contained in the older data. Um, Yvonne and Hemet both made the comment already, security is everyone's job. If the frontline employees and all of your people that are on your systems don't recognize that they have an integral part in presenting cyber breaches, That is one thing from an education standpoint, just needs to further be emphasized for your employees. And it's one of the things that, you know, one of our comments is, whether it's a monthly or a quarterly notification, just to make sure that it stays in front of everyone. When we talk about encryption, we do strongly recommend that if your entity transmits any kind of personal data, that it is encrypted. Yes, we all realize that makes it a little bit more cumbersome if you're the one receiving the email, but the whole purpose is is to more securely make sure that the the entity does not have to worry about potential loss of data if, in the event, like we would mentioned, there was an error made by the employee, if it's encrypted, that should at least give us more security. The biggest thing is the the play like you practice. It almost goes back to the old sports information. Hemant had made the comment that, you know, they utilize a third-party source for almost ethical hacking. When we say play like you practice, whether it's, The IT department practicing on what steps that they would go through in the event of an actual breach, Emmett made the comment of making sure that your backup data actually works. We worked with one client that literally had never tested the backup data. When they had a breach, they found out their their backup data had been corrupted, so they literally had nothing to go on because the corruption had occurred literally months before. And when we say play like you practice, that also can go to the level of the IT department actually creating almost a phishing email to send to the employees to see how many of them are actually opening it up. So you're almost doing your own internal diagnostics because that's really the only way you're going to see is do our, does our instant response plan, like Yvonne mentioned, does it actually work? Because it'd be, it's much better to find that out prior to the actual breach. And then the last thing is, is it, it, it's insurance. We already made the comment that it's not if you have a cyber breach, it's when you have the cyber breach. The way I look at insurance, especially for cyber and anything else, to me, it's sleep insurance. At the end of the day, I hope and pray that none of my clients have to actually utilize the insurance. But in the event something goes wrong is I want to make sure that every entity that we work with has that safety net, that if everything else goes wrong, we have insurance that can come in get the entity back up and running, and make them whole from from a cyber standpoint. That's, you know, topic number one. Topic number two is utilize all available resources. And Ivana and Hemid both made the comment about utilizing the other departments, making sure you've got stakeholders from different departments within your entity actively engaged when it comes to your, your pre-breach planning and your cyber planning. But we actually take it another whole level is also to utilize your insurance carriers, your insurance brokers, and your associations. And while we say these other three is what we are finding out is a lot of the insurance agents and brokers, they have separate resources available to their clients when it comes to cybersecurity. It may be pre-breach planning. It may be actual consultations with, with breach coaches. And then with insurance carriers as well, most of the insurance, because all of the insurance policies for cyber are totally separate. There, there is no standardized form. What we're finding out is with the major players for cyber insurance, a lot of them actually provide pre-breach resources. It can be as much as actually doing an evaluation of your system, or it can be just giving you tips and hints. And when I also say that associations, whether it's Prima or a local chapter or say it's the government, uh, business leaders of, of your individual state is a lot of these associations do have cyber resources. Make sure that you're aware of what they're doing. I will tell you the biggest thing that we've seen that we're changing how we do business from, from our broker side with our clients is up till about 2 to 3 years ago when we talked about cyber it was primarily with our risk manager what we are now offering to our clients and this is all pre-breach you know whether it's renewal is we're actually coordinating meetings now with ourselves our risk manager the IT directors for our entities and then we're also including where possible the actual insurance carrier because we want to make sure that not only does risk management know the resources that are available but more importantly, the IT department that's having to fight this on a day-in and day-out basis is fully aware of all the resources available to them. Like Hemet had mentioned, IT's got to be right 100% of the time. The hackers only got to be right one time out of 100, and, and, and they win. And so that's where we see, where you, uh, you know, utilizing all of your available resources. And like we said, our, our biggest, you know, best practice that we're seeing now is actually have an ongoing meeting with all of the stakeholders, insurance carrier, broker, risk manager, IT departments, so that everybody's on the same page and so that they also do understand what the definition of a breach is. Most carriers have different definitions and different coverage terms. And then lastly, we get to the cyber insurance policy like I'd mentioned there is absolutely no standardization each policy each carrier their policy stands on its own on its own so just comparing if you've got a you know a policy or a quote from three carriers if you're just looking at the premium you're looking at the wrong parts and pieces the premium obviously is important and we understand especially in today's budgetary environment but more importantly you've got to see what is actually covered and when we talk about that is there is a variety of resources available where you can actually benchmark and evaluate your limits for your entity compared to others, and a lot of those will actually have breach calculators. So you can actually put in various data elements, and it will give you the potential cost of a cyber breach. A lot of the national averages now are well over $5 million for an average breach. And so that's just 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 something to look at from a benchmark and evaluating the, the limits. We mentioned you know, there is no standardization, and so when we get to there's three areas that you do need to make sure on your cyber insurance policy that you've got coverage. The phishing, phishing and social engineering that both Yvonne and Hemet mentioned, there are a lot of policies that that is a separate endorsement. That is not standard part of the policy, so if you wind up with a breach through that avenue on some policies without it being endorsed, that may not be covered. We've also seen an issue lately with theft. If somebody comes in and literally steals and wire transfers out money from, from your account, that's one of the items that you do need to make sure whether it's yourselves or your broker evaluates and confirms for you what is and isn't covered because some of the policies do not cover theft unless it's endorsed onto the policy. And the most, probably one of the most important ones is when it comes to, um, PCP, if any of your entities are actually collect, are collect using credit cards, is the one thing we warn everyone about is you need to make sure that there's an endorsement on your cyber policy to cover the fines and penalties under PCP because that is under the federal side. The penalties are much greater than anything you see from a state or a local entity from the, the governmental side. You just want to make sure that that is covered because the one thing we warn people about when it comes to credit cards and a lot of the cloud storage companies, if you review a lot of those contracts that you have with those entities, a lot of times they are not responsible in the event of a breach. It's going to be your individual entity. So that was sort of my three three hot buttons that I wanted to make sure that we addressed and just realized, the, uh, like Hemet had mentioned, you know, the ransomware and being locked down That's the one reason that we do think it's a good thing to have a cyber insurance policy in the event your entity is locked down, is then you can immediately turn it over to the insurance carrier, and it becomes a claim, and at the end of the day, your entity is out a deductible, plus you've got the resources, because it's not just the claim, it's also the forensics that the insurance company will bring in. And um, with that, we, we appreciate the time, Taquan, and we'll turn it back over to you.
0: We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.